Welcome to December. <laughs> Ready or not, here it comes, right? And uh, with the beginning of um, the final month of the year, we also begin our final series of this calendar year together. Uh, so open your Bible, if you would, please, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. So glad you're here this morning. Trust you got here safely. And uh, we're going to pray that you get home safely as well. Um, and we are in Genesis chapter 3. The title of our new series uh, that Lord willing will lead us into Christmas is this, Women of Wonder, uh, specifically how God used four women to teach us about the coming of Christ. And uh, through this series, we're going to read the stories of four women from God's word. And each of these stories has something to teach us about the significance of the coming of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, what we'll find through these next few weeks, Lord willing, is that the story of each woman actually highlights one specific word uh, that reminds us of the power of Christmas and why we truly celebrate um, at this time of the year. So today we begin this series in Genesis chapter 3 with a message uh, that will look at the experience of Eve in the Garden of Eden, and the key word for this message is promise. And again, Lord willing, you're going to see that as we make our way through Genesis chapter 3. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to look at Mary, and the key word there is favor. And uh, the week after that is Elizabeth, who will teach us about encouragement. And then uh, as the series comes to a close on Christmas Sunday morning, uh, we're going to look at Anna, who uh, teaches us about worship. And so, uh, again, God uses each of these women in, I believe, eternally significant ways uh, to teach us important lessons about faith and hope in Jesus Christ, uh, even within our very own lives. So the goal of this series then, very simply, is this, uh, that God would use this series to ignite in each of us a growing sense of wonder within our own hearts, uh, a growing sense of amazement and awe at who Jesus Christ is and everything that he has done for us. And um, so with that as the backdrop of our series, we're going to begin this morning in Genesis chapter 3. You can have your Bibles open there, but before we do that, uh, let me just pray for us one more time. Tobin just prayed for us, so encouraged by that, uh, but let me pray one more time as we open God's word together. So Father, uh, we come to you again this morning. I pray uh, right across this room right now in a spirit of humility, uh, in a spirit of um, trust and dependence upon you. Uh, Lord, realizing that you have a plan for today, and even if it wasn't uh, the plan that we had coming into today or what we thought it would be, uh, Lord, you knew the weather was going to be like this. Uh, Lord, you know um, the, the circumstances and the situations of how it's going to play out for each of us this day. And, and so we thank you, Father, uh, for your goodness. We thank you for your sovereignty and your control over everything that happens, including um, when things don't go the way that we thought they would. And so, Lord, we come to you now uh, just grateful, um, maybe even more grateful than normal for, for just the opportunity that we have to be together in light of the circumstances around us. Uh, Lord, thank you for bringing us here safely. And, and I do pray as we make our way home later that you would uh, give us safety as we travel, um, some uh, for, for relatively far distances. Uh, but Lord, we, uh, we trust ourselves to you and pray uh, that you would give us the safety that we need. And in this, Lord, as well, uh, even as we come before you right now, um, we ask you in humility uh, to give us eyes to see the truth of your word. Lord, that you would show us, uh, even in this moment right now, what you desire for us to know, that our hearts would be, I pray, quiet before you, 
uh, knowing the distractions perhaps of this morning, uh, the distractions of this past week, and, and maybe even the things that uh, we are anticipating for a week still to come. Uh, Lord, we lay these things down before you, and just in the quietness of this time, Lord, would you please speak to us from your word? Would you guide us? Would you lead us? Uh, Spirit of God, would you be our teacher right now to, to teach us what we need to know? Uh, and even as we come to a passage that for many might be somewhat familiar, um, Lord, we, we trust you to teach us afresh um, this truth from your word. Uh, Lord, even if we do know it, there's things that we need to be reminded of, things that we need to keep coming back to, and a Savior that we need to keep trusting. And so, uh, Lord, we give you this time. Pray that you would uh, lead us now for the sake of your glory, for the sake of your name here among your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, before our family moved uh, to Brantford, uh, we lived in St. Catharines, and and we lived in St. Catharines on uh, one of the main roads that went through all the way through the city from the north end to the south end, and so uh, there was a lot of traffic on that particular road that would go right in front of our house. I think I've shared maybe bits of this story with you uh, a while ago, but um, when our kids were young, we were teaching them how to ride their bikes in our driveway. And, and so Stacy and I would take our two vehicles and we would park them bumper to bumper at the end of the driveway. And, and those vehicles would act as a barrier between the part of our driveway where our kids were learning to ride their bikes and the busy traffic on the other side of it. And we thought it was a great plan. And uh, one day, um, as our kids were in the driveway riding their tricycles, figuring out how to ride their bikes, one of our kids managed to find the absolute smallest space between those two vehicles that they could ride their bike through. And, and our driveway sloped down, so it went out towards the busy road. And without even knowing they were doing this, without even trying to do this, they started riding their tricycle, and the momentum just took them down the slope of the driveway, right in between the smallest crack between those two vehicles, and out onto the busy road. And the only way that I know how to describe what happened next was like, this was a, a real-life game of Frogger. You remember that? And, and those of you who are like under 35, maybe even under 30, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. That's okay. You can go home later and YouTube it, and, and you'll find out. Um, long and short, Frogger is like an old video game where a frog dodges traffic, and you are the frog. And the objective of the game is for you to get to one side of the street to the other side of the street without getting absolutely clobbered by a car. And um, anybody else remember Frogger? Yeah, a bunch of us, all right. The rest of you are like, how old are you? Right? And that's okay. It's, I'm okay with that. Um, long story short, this happened. The, the tricycle went down the driveway between the two vehicles out onto the busy road. And uh, Stacy and I ran out into the road. We, we got our child. Fortunately, as this was happening, the people who were driving by on the road were aware enough, and they, they slowed down. Some of them even stopped. They saw what was going on. We went out onto the road, grabbed our child, brought them back into the safety of the front yard, and... Um, and before anything catastrophic happened, thankfully nothing catastrophic did happen, but we learned a major lesson that day that as parents, uh, we need to make a lot wiser decisions about how we teach our kids to ride their bikes and where to do that. And uh, very, very thankful that nothing more happened than what actually did. Christian life is a lot like that sometimes, right? 
Um, God has given us the safety of, of certain boundaries within which we are to live our lives. And those are the places that God has designed for us within those boundaries to enjoy life and freedom and happiness and safety. But at the same time, as Christians, we know this from our experience that there are times where sometimes we go beyond those boundaries. We find ways to just kind of squeak through the little cracks within the boundaries and get to the other side. And it's when we get to the other side of those boundaries that we often find ourselves in very dangerous territory. And that's a little bit of what we're going to see again this morning here in Genesis chapter 3. Now, for many of us who have been Christians for some time, we often come to this section in God's Word, Genesis chapter 3, and, and we know this chapter to be the one where sin enters the world for the first time. It's the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's a talking snake and a piece of fruit. It's, it's a command to obey, but a choice to disobey. It's the reason why everything is wrong in the world around us. It's the reason why everything is wrong in our hearts within us. It's, it's the reason why our relationship with God has broken down and something needs to be done before it's too late to make it right. That's Genesis 3 as we read it. But a critical piece for us to remember when we come to this passage, and, and really a critical piece for us to remember anytime we open God's word, is this. What does this mean? What did this mean to the first people who read this passage? And that's a really good question for us to be asking anytime we open God's word to any passage at all. What does this mean to the people who first read this, to the people who first heard this? In the book of Genesis, and therefore Genesis chapter 3, is first of all a sermon to the Israelites. I mean, they're God's people. And they're God's people who by this particular time, when Moses has written this to them, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, many, many, many years after it actually happened, Moses writes this to them, and by the time he's written this, God's people have wandered through the wilderness, They've experienced um, exile. They have endured suffering. They have known the consequences of sin in them and around them. And they know, like they know already by this point at some, on some level that God has made them to be in relationship with him. But they also know at the same time that sin exists. And sin has fundamentally changed something as it relates to their relationship with God. Like these people, God's people, they know that God has made everything to be very good. That's the end of Genesis chapter 1. And that God shows his goodness in all of his creation. That's Genesis 1 and chapter 2 as well. But it really feels by this point like their experience is trying to tell them something that is very, very different. Isn't that so much of what we see in the world around us today? Like for all of the ways that people try to tell us that everyone is basically good. Like everyone is just basically a good person and, and maybe things don't go exactly the way that we thought they would go or, or they didn't go the way that we planned or, or we don't always see eye to eye on things but at the, at the core, on the bottom shelf, everyone is basically a good person. And I mean, come on, let's be honest. Like just look around, just turn on the news. Like we don't have to look very far or very long to see that that is not the case. Like we may see glimpses of good, but we all have something within our hearts that teaches us at its most basic level that this life is not the way that it should be. And it reveals to us in a profound way that it's not just that things are bad. It's that something is missing. And so now it's almost like you and I are sitting with the Israelites all those thousands of years ago because we're all basically asking the very same question. 
What happened? Like what happened that sin came into the world and it fundamentally changed our relationship with God? What happened that sin entered the world and and it's all of a sudden created this distance between us and God? And that right there, that friends is why Moses is writing Genesis chapter three to the Israelites. One commentator said it like this. He said the most lamentable result of sin to an Israelite is not that it makes people bad, but that it makes God distant. Just think about that for a minute. It makes God distant. And isn't it true that uh, we so often feel in a lost and broken world, many times within our own lives, that sometimes it just feels like God is distant. It's like, I'm going through this, and, and God... Just, there's just times where it just, does, it just feels like you're not there. And God, I've been going through this suffering for a long time now and my health just gets worse and worse and worse and, and it just feels like you're not there. And, and God, I'm going through my thing. God, where are you? Like, isn't it true? We have times in our life where it feels like God is distant and it's not just that God is distant, but it's this feeling within us that we all have at one time or another that this is not the way that life is supposed to be. What I want you to see from Genesis chapter 3 this morning is that Eve's experience does two things for us. Number one, it tells us why the distance is there between us and God. And then second, it tells us how that distance can be eliminated. So it tells us why the distance is there between us and God, but then also how the distance can be eliminated. And and you'll notice here that Eve's experience all the way through chapter 3 is actually pointing us towards a promise. It's pointing us towards a great promise. So notice this here. Three things that need to happen to eliminate the distance between me and God. Here's the first. You can jot this down. Uh, When God feels distant, I need to see the anatomy of my sin against him. Now, anatomy um, is a medical term. Uh, It simply means the internal workings of something or the structure of something. And that's what we see happening right here in the first part of Genesis chapter 3. So first of all, notice this. We minimize who God really is. So sin begins in our life when we minimize who God really is. Kyle led us just a few minutes ago through a wonderful prayer time of of understanding who God is and his attributes and, and worshiping him for those reasons. But we need to understand that sin begins when we start to minimize those things. Notice chapter three and verse one. The Bible says, now the serpent who of course uh, is Satan coming to Eve in the garden. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now look carefully here at the difference in how God is described in this verse. So Moses begins by describing him first as the Lord God. You see that? He's the Lord God. So in Hebrew, um, that name is Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. So Yahweh is a reference to the goodness of God in his covenant relationship with us. Elohim is a reference to the greatness of God in his supreme control over us. So Moses calls him the Lord God. He's referring here essentially to the goodness and the greatness of God. But then notice how Satan talks about God right after that. He slithers up right beside Eve and says to her, did God actually say? So notice here, he doesn't say, did the Lord God actually say? He just says, did God actually say? 
and have first loved ones, I, I get it. That may not seem like a really big difference, but it's actually absolutely massive because in framing it like that, Satan is coming to Eve and subtly telling her, hey, listen, God may be great. And, and keep in mind where they are when all this is going on, right? Like they're in the Garden of Eden. Right after creation, everything is perfect, everything is beautiful, everything is amazing. Like it would be next to impossible for anybody to stand there at that point, look around, and not see how absolutely great everything is. Like anything you lay your eyes on is awesome. It's perfect. So, so Satan slithers up beside Eve, and, and he's, he comes and he says, listen, God may be great, but I'm not so sure that he's good. Like, like, just think about this for a minute, Eve. Like, like, you're standing here in the garden. Why is it that if God is so good that he would withhold certain things in the garden from you? Like, if God is so good, why wouldn't he just give you everything in the garden to enjoy? And isn't that the same way that Satan works among us today? Like, he comes to us. He tempts us with those very same things. He comes to unbelievers, tempts them with the very same things. Like, he may not deny that God is great, but he certainly creates doubt that God is good. Like, just think about this. He comes and he says, hey, listen, God may want you to be in relationships, sure. But who says that you can't be in a relationship that you want, whatever relationship that you want, that you can be in that relationship however you want, with whomever you want, whenever you want, for whatever you want. You can just be in any, who says that marriage has to just be this one certain relationship? Why can't it be whatever you want? Who says that you can't be in a relationship and that you need to protect the the priority of purity? You just be in a relationship, do whatever you want. He comes and he says, hey, listen, God wants you to experience life and joy and fulfillment and satisfaction, but, but who says you can't have those things in whatever way that you want? Why not just live the life that you want to live and go after those things in whatever way that you want, get the joy that you want, get the satisfaction that you want in whatever way? Who says that Jesus is the only one who can give you the joy and the satisfaction and the peace and the fulfillment in this life that you are going after? See, loved ones, what we need to see here as we make our way through this is that what God did for Adam and Eve in the garden and what God does for you and me in real time every single day of our lives. Listen, he puts us within those boundaries in our life as an act of his goodness. We need to see that. It is not a lack of God's goodness that withholds certain things from us. It is an act of his goodness that he puts us within those boundaries because God knows that as soon as we begin to live our life outside of those boundaries, that's where everything starts to go wrong. God knows that as soon as we start to ride our tricycle down the driveway, we find that little crack in between the two cars and all of a sudden we put ourselves in a very dangerous place. He knows that. And so it's actually an act of his goodness that he gives us these boundaries within which to live our lives. See, we need to see this, that that this is the anatomy of sin. This is the breakdown of sin within our life, that sin begins when we minimize who God really is. But then notice this, it continues when we marginalize what God actually said. Look again at the second half of verse 1. He said to the woman, So this is the serpent. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I don't know um, if you see yourself in this at all. I see shades of myself all over this to my shame. Notice here that God never said anything about actually touching the tree. That seems to be something that Eve added. But do you notice here as well that um, Eve refers to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil based on its location in the garden, not on its significance. Do you see that? So chapter 2, verse 17, if you look back there, chapter 2, verse 17, God says, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Now obviously, there are massive consequences for Adam and Eve for eating fruit from that particular tree. But what we need to see here is that this tree, at its core, is a symbol of their choice between doing what God says and doing what I want. This tree is a symbol of their choice between God's truth and my truth. It's a symbol of their choice between God's way and my way. And somehow, somewhere along this way, Eve arrived at a place, she was deceived into believing where this was no longer a matter of life and death. Instead, this was just another tree in just the middle of a just another garden. It had lost its significance. And this is the point, loved ones, sometimes the reason why we feel like there is so much distance between us and God is because we are letting other voices speak into our lives that inevitably reduce the significance of the voice that God has. Like when you let the voice of money tell you what to do, it's not going to go well. And when you let the voice of peer pressure tell you what to do, it's not going to go well. And when you let the voice of envy or greed or gossip tell you what to do, it's not going to go well for your life. Why? Because when we let those voices speak into our lives, they compete with the only voice that matters. Think of it like this. It'd be kind of like... um, if my three kids were to come to me and, and start speaking to me in the highest, loudest possible voice that they could because they want to tell me something, but they're all talking to me at the very same time. Like there's no way that I'm going to understand what any one of them is saying if all three are talking to me at the very same time. Like the only thing that's really going to happen, I'm going to want to curl up in a corner and suck my thumb. Like it's just not going to go well because all these voices are speaking so loud to me all at the same time and I'm not hearing anything that anybody is saying. And so if you're making space in your life for the voice of money or the voice of reputation or the voice of comfort or safety, if you're making room in your life for the voice of sexual impurity or pornography or, or bitterness or anger or, or unforgiveness or whatever it may be, when you're making room for those voices within your life, then it makes perfect sense that eventually we're not going to hear everything that God wants us to say or wants us to hear. Because everything that God is saying becomes muffled by the sounds of all the other voices that are competing for our attention. And ultimately, it creates this distance between us and God. Do you see that? So remember, this is, this is the anatomy of sin within our lives. Sin begins in our life when we minimize who God is. It continues when we marginalize what God says. But then notice this. We also maximize our desire for self-fulfillment. That's verse 6. Verse 6 says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of it, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. 
Now, now just notice that again. Notice verse 6. Notice all the the emphasis here on self-fulfillment. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was desired to make her wise. Just maximize our desire for self-fulfillment. Like this is where it ends up. This is always where it ends up. Like when we don't take God for who he is, when we don't take God for what he said, then it makes sense, again, that we end up trying to satisfy ourselves by going after whatever it is that we think is going to give us the greatest fulfillment. And this is the way it goes every time. When you minimize God, you are maximizing self. When you minimize God, you are maximizing self. And that is what creates the distance between us and God. Like, you're essentially saying to God at that point, okay, God, your way's not good enough for me. Like, God, I've tried your way when it comes to money, and I don't like it. God, I've tried your way when it comes to relationships, and I don't like it. God, I've tried your way when it comes to to my future, but you're taking too long, and I don't like it. So I'm going to go and do my own thing and search for my own answers. Whenever you minimize God, you are maximizing self. And the call of the gospel upon every person whose life has truly been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ is the exact opposite. It is the call to minimize self for the sake of maximizing God. Maximizing the glory of God within our life. The call upon the believer in Jesus Christ is the call to die to self so that we can truly live in Jesus Christ. It is the call of He must increase and I must decrease. I must decrease and decrease and decrease, and He, in the process, must become so much greater within my life. Like, where is it in your life where? where the voice of the world is crowding out the voice of God? Where is it in your life where, where you, look at, you look at an area of your life, maybe you're even thinking of it right now, and you know that you've minimized who God is and you've marginalized what God has said and, and you've just maxed out now on your desire to find your own kind of fulfillment? Because that's what creates the distance between us and God. When God feels distant, I need to see the anatomy of my sin against him. And then this, number two. I need to feel the agony of my separation from him. See, when we choose to disobey God and put distance between us and him, there are certain ways that the agony of those choices begin to show itself in our life. So follow along with me. Chapter three, verse seven. The Bible says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You know, we we read this and this is just a long catalog of all the ways that our sin creates distance between us and God. Now, um, I get it. I've set this up as as a Christmas series, as um, joy, 
peace, love, hope, like all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, this is like a sanctified punch in the gut, right? But, but I want you to see this, okay? So just keep tracking with me through this because in order for us to see the greatness of the solution, we need to see the greatness of the problem. Okay, so just keep tracking with me here. We need to feel the agony of our separation from God. And, and notice here, first of all, our sin creates this internal agony. It's an internal agony. We experience things like vulnerability and shame. Adam and Eve instantly knew that they were naked, so they tried to cover themselves and hide from God. We experience inner fear whenever our outer failure might be exposed because the pride within us doesn't want the grace within God to call out our sin. Like, do you see this? God has created all of us. He's created every person with this built-in ability to understand that sin is not the way that life should be. I remember when, uh, when I was a kid in grade school, this is gonna really shock some of you. Uh, when I was a kid in grade school, I broke the recess rules. <laughs> right? Like, shock of all shocks, Right? And um, so for reasons that I don't remember and they're not important, our recess got moved from one part of our school property to another part. And, and so before we went outside, our teachers were like super clear. I don't even know why I remember this, but I do. It's like crystal clear. So our teachers gave us these rules and said, you, here's where you can play. So here's all the boundaries where you can play in the playground and, and it's safe for you to play here. You can play whatever you want. You can play here. Just don't go here. I went there, okay? And at some point, for all of my effort to try and hide the fact that I went there, there were at least a few people who saw me go there. And so one of my teachers during that recess came up to me and, and said, hey, listen, um, I need to take you to the principal's office because you clearly don't understand the significance of why you shouldn't be there. And so my teacher took me in. We went into the principal's office. My principal was great. I really, really liked him. And, and so I sat down across the desk from him, and, and he said... Um, did you go there? And to my shame, I said, nope. <laughs> it wasn't me. And, um, and so he's sitting across the desk. He says to me, well, it seems that a few people uh, noticed that you went there. And, and he said, are you sure you didn't go there? And I'm like, nope. wasn't me. And super nice guy, he let me go. And so I'm walking out of his office, I'm walking down the hallway, I remember, I remember this so clearly, walking down the hallway, getting ready to go back outside for the rest of recess, and I'm so overcome by the guilt and the shame because I know that I went there. Like, I knew it, but I had just lied about it. And now I'm getting away with it. So I'm walking down the hall just totally overcome by this and I turned back around, went back in and said, look, I, I just confessed. I did it. It was me. And there were consequences that I don't remember. I'm sure they were appropriate at the time, but um, isn't it true that, that even at a very young age, we know, like we know on some level, there's something built inside all of us to know that sin is not the way that life should be. And there's this internal agony that we wrestle with because we know that sin has affected us. It has impacted us in that way. And so there's this internal agony that we experience, but notice too, there's an external agony that we experience as well. Brings us to verse 14. The Bible says, the Lord God said to the serpent, 
Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now notice here the many signs of external agony that we experience because of sin. Notice the spiritual warfare that begins and it becomes a reality right now in the very first pages of the Bible. Verse 15, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. There's spiritual warfare right away. And so this becomes a reality in the very beginning, but then it also leads to difficulty and frustration because our relationships break down. Notice that the man's source of greatest joy and fulfillment in working the ground would also now become the source of his greatest difficulty. And notice that the woman's source of greatest joy and fulfillment in being a wife and mother would also now become her greatest source of difficulty, not just in bearing the children, but in raising the children. Verse 16 says the struggle of the wife will be in submitting to her husband's leadership. Eve will fight this sinful desire to assert leadership over Adam and Adam will abandon his God-given role to lead, love, and care for his wife and replace it then with a selfish desire to rule and dominate over her. Furthermore, sin has brought about the greatest of all external agonies in physical death itself. You will return to the ground, God says, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. See, sin doesn't just create the internal agony and the external agony, but notice this, maybe most important of all, it creates an eternal agony. Verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Like this may be the most agonizing part of it all. In their attempt to be like God, they forfeit their ability to be with God. Is that not just the, the way of the world really in some way in which we live today? Like that's the message that we hear from the world all the time, isn't it? Just be your own God. I mean, it's not exactly said like that. Sometimes it's said that blatantly, but, but many times, most times it's not. It's just like, live your own life. Like, just do what you want. I mean, it's your life, man. You only got one life to live, so just live it however you want. Like, live your best life now. Like, who says that, that there's only one way to this place that's called heaven? 
And, and who says that the Bible should be the only thing to determine the only way that we get to that place called heaven? Because isn't it true? There's something within every single person that wants to experience the glory of heaven. Like we want that. We know it's perfection. We know it's good. And, and we want that. But we've got these, all these messed up ideas about how to get there. And, and every person can get there on their own. So you just live your own life. You create your own paradise. And however it is that you get to that paradise, that's okay for you. Listen, loved ones, I want you to hear this so clearly. Some of you who are younger, you're hearing this messaging all the time. Like all the time. You hear it on social media. You hear it at school. You hear it among your friends. It may not be packaged exactly like that, but that's the heartbeat of the message. And you're hearing this over and over and over and over again. And the reality is that some of us who are older, we're not exempt from that. Because we're hearing that messaging all the time, too. We're hearing it on social media. We hear it at work. We hear it among our friends. Like, for some of you, you're hearing it in the books that you're reading. And in some cases, you're purposely reading those books because you want to hear that message. You want to hear that you're a good person. You want to hear that everything's okay. Or you're hearing it on, on the nice religious television programming that you're watching. You know, don't get me wrong, there's, there's some good teachers, some good Bible teachers on TV. But there's also a lot of teachers on TV who are not good Bible teachers because they're not teaching the Bible. They say they are, but they're not. There are a lot of people on TV who are point-blank false teachers. They are teaching a false gospel of health and wealth and prosperity and all they want is your money and they're cloaking it in the Bible. You're like, wait a minute. Like, like some, of, some of what I hear on this religious programming on TV is it's good, it sounds good, it sounds nice, it sounds religious, it sounds spiritual and that's actually my point. Because everything that Satan said to Eve in the Garden of Eden also sounded good. And it sounded nice. And it sounded religious. And it sounded spiritual. The problem is that everything that Satan said to Eve in the Garden of Eden was a lie straight from the pit of hell. And that, my friends, is why it is so critical that as followers of Jesus, we exercise discernment that is grounded in God's word. We exercise wisdom that is based in the word of God, that it's that wisdom, it is that discernment that's going to guide what we allow to speak truth into our lives. Like part of the reason I think that, that we feel this distance so acutely between us and God, again, is because we're giving the wrong voices too much influence within our life. But, but you just look at this section in chapter 3, and part of the reason that we sometimes feel this distance between us and God is because we've left the internal or the external agony unresolved. 
that, that we're still carrying around guilt and shame and fear and, and pain and vulnerability from things that have happened in our past. And, and those things that have happened in our past are somehow shaping the relationships that we have right now. And in some cases, they're even completely obliterating relationships that have yet to start because we're carrying around this internal or this external agony that we have not fully dealt with yet at the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's the grace of God that welcomes us and offers to us, come to me, all you who are burdened and all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I believe that we could also confidently say, based on the authority of God's word, that the reason that some may still feel so distant from God is not just because of the internal or the external, but it's actually because of the eternal. True joy, true peace, true fulfillment, and true life will only be found by trusting in God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only way that the distance between us and God is eliminated. It begins with believing in him and then living according to the truth of his word. Which leads us then to our final point. Again, uh, I get it. Some of you are like, wait a minute, thought this was Christmas message. You're like, dude, where's the Christmas? Okay, it's coming right here, okay? When God feels distant, I need to see the anatomy of my sin against God. I need to feel the agony of my separation from God. And then finally this, I need to hope in the anticipation of my salvation in God. Okay, now when you believe upon Jesus Christ, you are saved here and now in the present. You are saved but you'll notice here that there's also a future aspect that is still to come. We anticipate a future hope. So notice again, chapter three and verse 15. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now this is what Bible scholars call the proto-euangelion. Some of you are like Gesundheit. No, okay. Euangelion is the Greek word for gospel, for good news. Proto means first. So what we're seeing here, God is using the experience of Eve in the Garden of Eden as the first opportunity to announce the promise of the gospel. So notice here, first of all, the promise of a deliverer. God says in verse 15 that Eve's offspring is a he. Notice that, and that he is Jesus. It's pointing us forward to Christ. God says there will come a time when Jesus will bruise Satan's head and Satan will bruise Jesus' heel. In other words, Satan will cause Jesus to suffer and Jesus would suffer greatly at the hands of his enemies and ultimately on the cross for our sins in our place. But God also says there is coming a day when Jesus will bruise Satan's head. In other words, Jesus will deal a final fatal blow to Satan and his army of demons and Jesus will show himself to be forever victorious. Now, not only do we see the promise of a deliverer, but we also see the power of grace. And I want you to see this so much. It is, notice this, it is God's grace that comes to Adam and Eve in the garden even when they were trying to hide from God. It is God's grace that leads them to confession by asking them questions. Where are you? What have you done? It's God's grace that he provides a way for Adam and Eve to be delivered. It's God's grace that when Eve thought she was gonna die instantly for her sin, that God promises her that she will bear children. 
It's God's grace that Adam will have food to eat from the ground, even though he has to sweat to get it. It's God's grace that made garments for Adam and Eve to wear and begins this process now of restoring them. It's God's grace, notice this, it's God's grace that would take Eve in all of her sin and still use her, even to the point that she would be called the mother of all living. And maybe most importantly of all, it is God's grace that drives Adam and Eve out of the garden. You say, wait a minute. How is it God's grace that he drives Adam and Eve out of the garden? It's God's grace because in driving them out of the garden, they would never have a chance to eat from the tree of life and be sentenced to live forever in the consequences of their sin. Listen, it's God's grace that even though they feel the distance now, God has made a promise that there is a way for that distance to be eliminated. And that, my friends, that is the promise of Christmas. That is the hope of the gospel. That is the hope of the coming of Jesus Christ. It is God's grace that comes to us even when we were trying to hide from him. It is God's grace that brings us to confession. It is God's grace that he restores us and blesses us with everything that we don't deserve. It's God's grace that rescues us from an eternity of being separated from him because of our sin. It's God's grace that would take us despite all of our sin and use us to do anything for him at all. And it's God's grace that he has given us a deliverer named Jesus, this baby born in the manger, fully God, fully human. Listen, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. The promise of a deliverer who in himself eliminates the distance between us and God, both now and forevermore. And here's, listen, here's the great part. There's still coming a day when God's people will re-enter this paradise. We will re-enter this paradise as the people of Jesus Christ and, and our fellowship with God will never be broken again. Just listen to this, Revelation 22. Just let these words soak, soak over you as you consider how God used Eve to bring about this promise for us. Revelation 22, verse one. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river. Here it is, the tree of life. The tree of life. They, they were driven out of the garden so they would never go anywhere near that tree of life and have to live forever in the consequence of their own sin. And now the people of God are re-entering paradise around the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, Yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God, there it is, for the Lord God, the goodness of God and the greatness of God. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. God made a promise. And he used Eve to teach us that our deliverer has come. And our deliverer has taken the anatomy of our sin against God and he will completely restore us. 
and he has taken the agony of our separation from God and he has completely washed it away. And in its place, he has planted deep within us the hope of salvation. Praise the Lord.